take a minute and try and recall a moment in your life. Probably shouldn't be that hard for many of us. A moment in your life when somebody spoke something to you that changed the trajectory of your life or changed your understanding of who you are. Could have been um, a parent or a teacher. Could have been a a coach. Sometimes uh, it's a random stranger or a classmate. or um, Who was it for you? That at some point in your life, maybe at the moment when you least expected it or the moment when you needed it most, somebody spoke something into your life that changed you forever. Can be positive and sadly to say it can be negative. For some of us, the people who spoke in transformative ways did that for our harm instead of our good. Words are powerful things. I remember when I was six years old, I I know I've told this story before, but I had um, participated in one of our church services when I was six years old, stood behind the pulpit and recited scripture. And after that service, somebody came up to me. I don't remember who it was, but I remember these words as clear as it were yesterday. They knelt down and grabbed my shoulders and they said, maybe one day, I saw you up there and I thought, maybe one day, God would let you preach in our church. And I'm not saying that I have been doing what I've been doing for the last 20 years because of that single comment. But those words lodged deep in my spirit and changed somehow the trajectory of who I am and what I was to become. That's the power of words. And that's actually what we're talking about this morning as we turn back to this series called Staying Power. For the last two Sundays, we've been talking about what it looks like or how to engage in relationships that are deep and meaningful and significant and have lasting, enduring power in our lives. Two weeks ago, we talked about the commitments that are required for relationships that have, to have staying power, a commitment to togetherness, to staying in touch with each other. We talked about a commitment uh, to communicating our love and affection for each other rather than never finding ways to say, I love you. We talked about the commitment to being open beyond the borders of our friendship circle for how, how much do I want to torture this metaphor? To immigrant friends to, to move in and to participate in our community. Last week, we talked about the two core character traits required for relationships that have staying power. A humble teachability and an integrity of character. And this morning, we, we're going to um, walk through a talk that we've called the language of we. Or we look at the power of our words to shape the relationships we experience. So we're going to start in in, in Proverbs chapter 12. I almost said Matthew. I'm so groomed to teaching out of the book of Matthew. Proverbs chapter 12 verse 13. You can turn there uh, if you have a Bible on on your device or on paper or whatever. Proverbs 12 verse 13 says this. Evildoers are trapped by their sinful talk. And so the innocent escape trouble. From the fruit of their lips, people are filled with good things. 
and the work of their hands brings them reward. The, the two proverbs contrast the fate of people who use words wisely with those who do not. It talks first about people who are trapped by sinful talk, by unwise or hurtful, harmful talk, by ungodly, unJesus-like ways of speaking to each other. And they say that kind of way of speaking to other people can be like a trap. In fact, the word trapped by their sinful talk literally refers to a wooden trap that hunters would use to capture animals in the ancient world. The end of last year, the beginning of this year, for about a six-month period of time, Krista and I were in a mortal struggle with a family of rats that had moved into our garage and into the storage room in our basement, who, uh, I'm ashamed to say, had made a habit of making visits to the main floor and eating whatever happened to be sitting on the kitchen counter. I was sitting at the dining room table typing a paper one day at 5 a.m. I looked over and I saw a big fat rat walk across the dining room floor under the stove and he vanished into the wall. For six months, our house was filled with these guys everywhere you look. There was probably a dozen, a dozen and a half of these in the garage, in the storage room, positioned in various places where we knew the rats had, had wandered, the laundry room and so on. These things were all over the house. And you got to remember, my kids are still pretty little. We had to tell my girls over and over and over again, you got to stay away from this thing because this trap, this thing will hurt you. Right? That'll break a person. That'll break a finger. That'll make someone bleed. The writer of the Proverbs says, you know, when we speak in unwise, ungodly, unJesus-y kind of ways, that's exactly what happens. Not only to other people, which we're going to talk about in the middle, the way our, our unwise and sinful words can hurt other people, but even they damage ourselves. He says, you get caught in your own sinful talking. And I think not least by the ways that our words have the power to destroy our relationships. It's a theme in the book of Proverbs that you reap what you sow. The Bible doesn't teach karma. That's not what I mean. But what the wisdom that the Jewish wisdom insists on over and over again is that in general, not always, but in general, when you live life along the grain of the universe, of the way the world was created to be, if you live life in the direction that God has created humanity to live, life in general usually goes better. If you live your life cutting across the grain of the kind of people that we're supposed to be, this is the result. That actually scared me that time. <laughs> it's interesting to see the contrast. Because he says people who use sinful talk get trapped like this. People who speak in a Jesus-y kind of way. It says from the fruit of their lips people are filled with good things. It's a completely different metaphor. Sinful talk is like a trap that is violent and hurtful and damaging. Um, Righteous talk, Jesus-y kind of ways of using our words are like fruit that grows. It's an agricultural metaphor. It's, it's peaceful and serene. 
A picture of a farmer quietly going about his patient business of cultivating the ground and growing this fruit for the harvest. It's a picture of the kind of nourishing power of the words of somebody who has deeply cultivated their soul, who has weeded and watered and nurtured and cared for their soul and has grown deep roots of spiritual maturity in who they are. And the fruit that that produces is the fruit of words that nourish people. In Proverbs 18, there's a very similar image. It says this, from the fruit of their mouth, a person's stomach is filled with the harvest of their lips. They are satisfied that a person's words, when they come from this deep down, well-rooted, cultivated place of maturity, the words that come out that, that are godly and Jesus-y have the power to nourish and fill and satisfy somebody's soul. But then it goes on to say the power has the, the tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. The, your words have the power to breathe life into your relationships. And they have the power to kill them. And people who love their words will eat of the fruit of the kinds of words that they've chosen. So in order to experience relationships that have staying power, these sort of deep, meaningful, significant experiences of community that we've been talking about how do you use words in a way that breathe life well the writer says i think a couple things worth considering in proverbs chapter 12 the first thing is this he says if you're going to use words to breathe life you're going to use words sparingly listen to verse 15 the way of fools seems right to them but the wise listen to advice we talked about fools last week, people who lack self-restraint, they lack self-control, the, the self-discipline to make good and wise and godly choices with their life. That's a fool. And, and he, we talked even about the way of fools. Remember, I talked about this Jewish metaphor about how um, the Jews would talk about living out your ethics as in the metaphor of walking. Life is a journey. And we walk it out. And the writer of the proverb says, if life is a journey, then for fools, they're already convinced. They know where they're going and they know how to get there. And they never have to stop and ask directions of anybody. But he says, the wise aren't like that. The wise know that they don't know everything. The wise know that they sometimes stumble and fall. The wise know that they're prone to wander off the path. And so the wise open themselves up for the continuous input of the people around them. But listen to this. So we talked about that last week, but listen to what he says. In order to become that kind of person, you have to be someone who knows how to listen. The kind of speech that breathes life into a relationship is the kind of speech that begins with a priority on listening. I was reflecting on this week how our bodies interact with our environments. They're truly remarkable things, our bodies. We're constantly taking in information about our surroundings at every moment of every day through all of our five senses, our total 
body is immersed in our environment and we're constantly absorbing our environment to who we are. You can see me right now and you can see the room you're in and you can see the people sitting around you in your peripheral vision. You can hear my voice, but you can hear that person coughing and you can hear the baby squawking and you can hear, you can feel the chair underneath you. Um, you can smell whether the person beside you has showered or not. You can taste breakfast or your coffee or the breath mint because of your breakfast and your coffee. Our, our senses, even though we're not aware of all that we're experiencing at any moment in time, because the brain knows that we can't deal with information overload, our brain has the capacity to absorb information through all five senses all the time simultaneously. We can see as we hear, we can hear as we can feel, we can feel as we taste, we can taste as we touch you know what the body cannot do simultaneously the body cannot talk and listen at the same time when it comes to speaking and listening these are not things that happen at the same time you're faced with a choice that at every moment of every day you're actually choosing whether you're going to be a person who speaks or whether at that moment you're going to be a person who listens and I think the writer of the Proverbs says the pathway to becoming the kind of person who has the self-discipline to make good and godly wise choices about how we live in relationships with each other is to learn to become the kind of person who prioritizes listening over speaking. Years ago, I heard a, a poem in a television program and it has stuck with me for probably 25, 30 years. Um, I'll date myself and I'll say that I saw it in Magnum P.I. So half the room has no idea what I'm talking about now. But the poem goes like this. There was an old owl who lived in the oak. And the more he saw, the less he spoke. And the less he spoke, the more he heard. Why can't we all be more like that wise old bird? I think that's what the writer of the Proverbs says, that the power of our words begin with a commitment or decision to be people who first listen. And then when we choose to speak, we are people who choose to use our words sparingly. In verse 23, it says this, the prudent keep their knowledge to themselves, but a fool's heart blurts out folly. Now we talked about this again last week, so we don't need to get into it again, about how we talk about answering a fool or not answering a fool according to their folly. When you see somebody, they're spouting nonsense and they're pontificating about stuff that they don't know, you know, what they're talking about. It's clear that they're just airing and sharing uninformed opinion about whatever. The debate, the tension that people live in, in those kinds of relationships with those kinds of people is, do I jump in and do I correct their mistake and risk getting dragged into a really ugly, unproductive argument? Or do I keep my mouth shut and allow them just to go on and risk affirming them by my silence? But that's the kind of person that we're talking about and it says that a person like that blurts out their folly the word blurt translates a hebrew word that essentially means to call attention to yourself by making a loud noise um in hebrew they use this word uh, to as a verb to crow like what a crow does we use it in english too that person was crowing their own opinions 
Um, but it's to, it's to draw attention to yourself, to get everyone to look at you by the loudness of the noise of the voice that you're using. And this is the writer of the Proverbs saying, this is what fools do. People who lack self-discipline to make good and godly and wise choices, what they do is they loudly trumpet, they air and share their uninformed opinions for everybody to hear. He says, but prudent people don't do that. The clever, the cunning, the wise, they don't behave that way. They keep their knowledge to themselves. Interesting that he contrasts a fool in his folly, his uninformed opinion, with a prudent person and her knowledge. The things we, she knows for certain. He says a fool is someone who's constantly trumping, trumpeting their, that was a total Freudian slip, uh, a person who's constantly trumpeting their uninformed opinion with the person who prudently and wisely keeps their opinions themselves until the time is appropriate. In your mind, contrast what it's like to live in relationship with those two different kinds of people. The loud, talkative know-it-all who has an opinion about everything, who can't be taught everything, anything. They're always right. They're always certain. There's just no way to, to correct any mistake or error, or whatever, versus the person we've come to call the strong, silent type who sits and who listens and who listens and who listens who patiently listens to everybody around, who patiently learns about the people that they're sitting with, who patiently learns from the people they're sitting with, the kind of person, you know this person, the kind of person who, when they finally speak, never fail to share something significant and meaningful. They're the kind of person who ends the conversation, if you know what I mean, because there's a loud debate going on around the table and the person at the end, who hasn't said a word. And then finally the time comes for them to say, you, you know how I see it. And in two sentences the conversation's over because everyone goes, wow, that's right. Which kind of person would you rather live in a relationship? Which kind of relationship do you feel breeds the sort of deep, meaningful significance, the staying, enduring power of relationship that we all crave in our life. Be that person and use your words sparingly. The second thing the writer of the proverb says is that relationships with staying power are, are built on people who use their words considerately. In verse 16, he says, fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlook an insult. It's back to the fool who lacks self-discipline to make good and godly and wise choices. He says, they show their annoyance at once. Whenever they find themselves in a circumstance where things aren't going their way or they're not getting their way or something is contravening them, maybe they're being confronted or criticized or maybe they're just not, things aren't working out the way that they wanted them to work out. He says, people like that show their annoyance at once. In other words, they react to the situation and they react emotionally. 
Annoyance is an emotion. That's an emotional word. It's anger directed at the circumstances. And um, the writer of the Proverbs says, a fool will just sort of let their anger fly, whether it's in real obvious forms, like, you know, biting somebody's head off or, you know, tearing a strip off of somebody or blowing your your top or whatever, or whether it's in real insidious ways, just in sarcasm and snark and criticism and insult, put down, condescension, whatever. Um, a fool will, will react emotionally when things aren't going their way. And the, he says they'll react uh, immediately. He says they show their annoyance at once. Right? They, in other words, it's a thoughtless reaction. It is a reaction that has not been considered they haven't thought about what, how they're going to respond. Instead, they have re reacted immediately, kind of lashed out with their annoyance, just spread out at everybody else. He says, um, prudent people don't behave that way. That's not how they use their words. The prudent, he says, overlook an insult. It's, it's interesting with the fool. We don't know what has caused the annoyance. It could be anything. Anything that makes them annoyed. And they're reacting emotionally and immediately, whatever. With the prudent, we know very specifically what the situation is. They've been insulted. They've been attacked personally. Somebody has tried to shame them. Either privately or in front of other people. And it says, yet they don't react emotionally. They don't react impulsively or immediately. Instead... It says they overlook the insult. The word actually in Hebrew means to conceal or to cover over, to, to hide. And it comes to be used in the Jewish scriptures to mean they forgive and forget. They pay no attention to. They don't hang on to the injury or the insult that has been directed their way. Jewish rabbis said there's three ways to get to really know what a person is like. You can know them by their coasts, you can know them by their keys, and you can know them by their kaas. You, you can know people by the way that they behave when they've been drinking. You can know what people are really like by the way they behave with their money. And you can know what people are really like by the way they behave in an emotional circumstance like this one. The wise, the godly, like Jesus' brother James says, are quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to get angry. They use their words. They consider how they're going to respond. Krista and I talk about this a lot in these kinds of situations where we find ourselves in confrontation or conflict with another person where somebody is reacting to us, even insulting or whatever, lashing out. We, we do our best to remind each other that everyone has a story. That something is happening inside that person that is causing them to react this way. And by taking a step back and by considering where this is coming from, you can empower yourself to respond empathetically, to respond with consideration for the other person. Because you don't respond that way. You react emotionally and impulsively, and here's what happens. Verse 18, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. The words of the reckless pierce like swords. The Germans have a word for this, Schwertmal. 
I'm, I don't speak German, so that might be brutal. But it means sword mouth. We don't have that word in English, uh, but we don't need it because we have all sorts of ways of saying the same thing. We talk about people who have a sharp tongue. We talk about somebody's cutting criticism. We talk about how we got into a, a war of words with somebody and took a real tongue lashing. We were pierced by their tone and their words stabbed us in the heart. And I don't have to describe for you what that experience is like because you've lived it. The unconsidered reaction, emotional, impulsive reaction to a situation creates a flow of words that stabs people like a sword. But the, the wise don't speak that way. Their considered response, their measured response has the power, it says, to bring healing. I find it interesting that it doesn't say that the, the impact is neutral or even that the impact of their words is comforting and consoling and, and helps put people at ease or whatever. No, it actually, further than that, it brings healing. It has the power to undo the wounding that other people have inflicted. It has a healing power. I was thinking this week about what the New Testament says about relationships, that when the Holy Spirit is active in relationships, you can tell because they are filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. It seemed to me as I thought about it that if that's what the Holy Spirit looks like in relationship, then that's what the Holy Spirit looks like in the ways that we speak to each other. That the healing that the Spirit can bring to your spirit through relationship comes through considered and considerate words that are filled with love. Words that are joy-filled. Words that are peace-promoting. Words that are patient. Words that are kind and good. Words that speak of faithfulness, of commitment and devotion to relationship. Words that are gentle. Words that demonstrate the self-control of the wisdom that the Holy Spirit brings to people's lives. You want to live in a relationship with staying power. One that is deep and meaningful and rooted and established, enduring for all time. Fill your relationship with those kinds of considered and considerate words. Be that person. Because the truth of the matter is, as I read over this passage, what I discovered is that what the, what the proverbial writer actually wants to communicate, I think, is one layer deeper than what we've been talking about. This is sort of symptomatic. The, the power of our words and how we use them and the impact they have on other people are all kind of symptomatic of something that sits at a deeper level. Verse 17 says this, an honest witness tells the truth. But a false witness tells lies. It was sort of a a dumb proverb when I first read it, I was like, well, you know, duh. Honest people are honest. Dishonest people are dishonest. Right? I read a fortune cookie once that said, when you squeeze an orange, you get orange juice because that's what's inside. Right? 
But there's actually something really deep being communicated there. The, the depth of what's being communicated is this. Your words, the words that you use, how you choose to communicate is a spectacular indication of the kind of person you are in your spirit. Right? If you want someone to give a truthful testimony in court, you pick an honest witness. But if you pick a dishonest witness, what you're going to get is lies. It's about picking and choosing the kinds of people that you're going to be in relationship with. If you want to be in a relationship that is staying power, that is deep and abiding and significant and meaningful in, in an enduring way over the long haul, be in a relationship with, a, with somebody whose words betray the integrity of character that we talked about developing in your spirit last week. Whose words are truthful. They are true to who God has created them to be. You find somebody whose words sound like Jesus. And you found somebody who's worth being in a relationship with. You, more to the point, become somebody whose words sound like Jesus. And you will have become somebody who has empowered the people around you to engage with you in relationships with staying power. And guess what, friends? That's actually where God is. In verse 19, it says, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only for a moment. It talks about the enduring power of a person, a steadfastness being established, being permanent, lasting, ready for everything. That's what uh, endure forever. That's what that means. Um, if you want to build a relationship on something that is steadfast and enduring, find somebody whose words betray that character. And then listen to what it says about the, because, verse 22, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. And isn't that the goal? That God would delight not just in who we are and who we're becoming, but that God would delight in the way that we relate to each other, in the kind of relationships that we build with each other, with the words that we choose to use. Your words have the power to breathe life into your friendships. If we learn how to use them sparingly, learning to listen first, being quick to listen and slow to speak, And if we learn to use them considerately, not reacting to situations, but responding in a considered and a considerate way. You and I learn to speak like those kinds of people. You and I learn to become, with the Holy Spirit's help, in our, the core of our spirit, those kinds of people. And to let that bubble out of us in the form of our words. And you will find yourself living a life and in relationships that put a smile on the face of God. Let's pray together. Jesus, the Bible says, where words are many, sin is not absent. And I am a person of many words. I know I hurt people with my words unintentionally, sometimes intentionally. I know that sometimes my words pierce like a sword. I know that sometimes I err and share my uninformed opinion about things. I trust that I'm not alone in confessing these things to you. 
And all I'm saying when I say this, God, is that I and we need the fullness of your Holy Spirit living inside of us to fill us with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control so that we can speak words that breathe life into others and into our relationships. We want nothing other than that, to speak the language of we. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.